270th episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that's your often imitated, never duplicated, made in Japan for that perfect set booster finish, favorite cardboard finance party on wheels. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to another exciting episode. Uh, touch lower energy because I just spent two hours watching my kid and playing with him. So <laughs> try and stay awake here. <laughs> Been there. Uh, Looking forward to sharing valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your Spock's chat and Discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Finance Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on our busy agenda this week? Well, this week I figured we'd start with our segment one, Metagame Week in Review. Uh... With modern champs qualifier and a pioneer challenge. Segment two will be our top paper movers, a t- slightly tighter list this week, uh, with our, uh, some MTGO movers uh, for the icing. Segment three, our paper cards to watch. We have a couple cards that we're going to run through and talk about uh, how we like their outlooks in life. And finally, our segment four, our topic of the week. There are some wild printing differences that have emerged with this recent slate of cards, and it's not the first time either. So we'll just touch base on what we're seeing there, uh, how that's playing out in the market, and what it might mean in the future. Let's start here at the top, the metagame we can review. We have a Modern Champs qualifier, which was taken down by a black and white Doth and Taxes build featuring uh, the Elite Spellbinder, which is a PV invitational card and the wasteland strangler combo remember that elite spellbinder is the one that when you play it it uh, exiles the cards from your opponent's hand which they can then later play but they pair it with wasteland strangler which strangler which moves cards from exile into graveyards uh to act as a removal spell so you essentially get to the two card just make somebody discard a card they kill something as well it's a nifty little one-two punch yeah, we touched on this last week. I was mentioning that I used to play Black White Eldrazi um, before it had some of these pieces, but now that it has Ephemerate and uh, the Poilo card, the things are looking up for this deck. There's just a lot <laughs> that they can do that gets kind of combo tastic when you've got Charming Prince and four copies of Ephemerate plus four copies of Flicker Wisp that can. Flick your Skyclave Apparition or your Stoneforge Mystic, go get another equipment piece. You can flick your Tide Hollow Sculler to strip another card out of their hand um, if need be. You can flick your Wall of Omens to get a, draw another card. And then if you've got stuff exiled, you can use the Wasteland Strangler to kill off a creature and get the, get the card out of exile. So lot, lots of cool little interactions in this build. 
Yeah, I like uh, those little angles sometimes are just sort of cute, but they can add up to be significant. I posted in the Discord last night because Wasteland Strangler foils were like $2 on TCG Player. And we got a ways to go before people are going to be playing a heap of modern and paper. But if this deck is even remotely on the agenda, there's no way those foils should be two bucks. Yeah, I like the Charming Princes there because I'm pretty sure I bought some of those back when Throne of Eldraine came out. Foil extended arts. Yeah, mm-hmm. fan of that. So that's a solid EDH card too, anyway. Yeah. Uh, a caco- uh, what is it? Cacophony, maddening cacophony, mill deck in second place. Um, the Hedron Crab, Ruin Crab combo, the Mesmeric Orb, we're seeing, um, the Four, Vis- Four Visions build, I, they weren't always playing that. I think a, a, a relatively standard mill strategy at this point. Um, doesn't make, doesn't show up too often, but, uh, I'm sure people are annoyed to see it in their pod when it does. I mean, a lot more often this year than in years prior. The It's gone from basically like a tier 4 or 3 or 4 deck to pretty clearly tier 1.5 or tier 2. It's been in multiple top 8s that we've reviewed in the last 6 months. There does seem to be some uh, jostling in terms of what cards are included, because we've definitely seen versions that run all the Maddening Cacophonies, versions that run none of them. Um, I'm sure some meta-tuning has been going on along the way, but... Uh, those uh, cheap maddening cacophony foil extended arts are still looking pretty good for the long term. Yeah, I think that worked out well for you. So third place in this uh, modern champs, we've got the red white prowess build that has basically just rocketed right into the top eight and stayed there since the reveal of clever Lumamancer. Uh, this runs all the prowess creatures, including that new white uh, com- uh, uncommon out of Strixhaven, and then a whole bunch of free or single casting cost spells to turn those things into absolute monsters on the attack mm-hmm. yeah it's a nifty strategy and i don't i can't imagine we're going to see it go anywhere unless uh modern horizons 2 dramatically changes the format but i guess one did as well so yeah i mean this is this is setting the pace it looks like for aggro in the format you, you basically have to be able to get your shit together before this thing kills you mm-hmm and we do seem to be seeing more. I, I would argue that you're seeing more of these prowess builds, whether blue, red, or white, red, um, than you are straight burn at this point. Yeah, I, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen a literal burn deck. I mean, they've just given it so many tools that it doesn't seem like uh, you, you need to play straight burn. On the two episodes ago, eighth place was Boros Burn, which is kind of like the default version of the deck, so that they can run Lightning Helixes and so forth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, but they've still—I don't—I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, they probably still had something of a creature complement, though, right? I think that version. No, there was in seventh place that week. There was was the debut of Boros, Boros Prowess with Clever Lumomancer, but the Burn deck looked like it was had been completely unadjusted. Okay. Well, it, regardless, it's still, uh, regardless, by the way, not irregardless, regardless, uh, we don't see nearly as much burn as you might have seen uh, back in the day, looking some of this stuff up. Amulet Titan in fourth place with four uh, Karn, the Great Creator, and the combo package or the utility package out of the sideboard. Four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, of course, in there. Jun Shadow with Death Shadow. 
uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves and four Hex Drinker in fifth. Red Green mid range with uh, also with four Karn the Great Creator in a completely different shell. Uh, two Renin six. Um, I think a couple of Clothis in that build and some Blood Moons. And then Hammer Time back on the menu in seventh place. Uh, fairly standard build of that. And then Blue-Red Prowess is the other aggro deck that's been doing work in the format pretty regularly. And their main uh, addition coming out of Strixhaven is Expressive Iteration, which my money is on as the the foil uncommon alongside Lumomancer, most likely to pull a cling to dust and shake off the uh, elevated foil drop rates in the collector boosters to end up being a five, six, seven, eight dollar foil uncommon before it gets a reprint that's funny because uh i saw back-to-back tweets recently and one was like expressive iteration is the worst card in strixhaven like don't play it it's a trap and the next one was this is the best card in the format don't sleep on it (laughs) (laughs) well apparently the 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 pilots are still jostling over whether it's good enough i think the fact that you can play lands off of it is is a pretty big deal it being a sorcery is certainly uh to its detriment. And there is a promo version of this coming out, um, which could drag against it a little bit, but something tells me it's just going to get there. I think it's going to end up seeing play in at least standard and pioneer on a regular basis. And if it sticks in the list for the blue red prowess builds for any amount of time, then that's going to be a a trifecta. And then the blue red spells decks and EDH, you'll probably be running this as well. It's interesting. The, the, you know, the, monocost is a bit restrictive at blue red um you know you got to be able to make both colors on turn two which almost feels like it's going to be harder to cast at in standard than it will be in modern but at the same time the card selection in standard is so much more it's much more appealing there than it is in modern because there's so many fewer choices but it might be a, a solid tier two uncommon going forward yeah, it's basically impossible to not cast it on turn two in Modern, because you've got Steam Vents, Spire Bluff Canal, Scalding Tarn, Mountains Islands, Fiery Islets, and Bloodstained Mire. So there's there's literally no two, combination of two lands in this deck, other than Double Mountain, I suppose, that could possibly not allow you to cast it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so moving on over to the Pioneer Challenge. Haven't looked at that in a couple weeks. Wanted to see if there was any significant undertakings going on there and there is a little bit of spice to be had blue red phoenix and first probably the most uh, relevant financial item there is for river glide pathway uh, in a format that doesn't have fetches you're going to see the pathways do significant work uh, so i've certainly got the pathway foils in the corner of my eye i i almost processed a thousand dollar cart with foil pathways in it last night we are getting uh, Ultimate Secret Layer 2, which looks like it was revealed today has the 10 pathways, which we already knew about. And it looks like the bonus that we suspected, you know, there was some banter in the Discord, will there be a bonus in this? And I said there probably would be. I thought maybe that was one of the reasons they uh, delayed it uh, from its earlier date, even though they claimed it was a logistics issue, which is completely believable, by the way. Um, so it turns out you're getting a bla- uh, uh, foil stained glass effect blast zone so they took another war of the spark card this time a land and gave it stained glass treatment and you get one of those in each of the 10 card sets but the thing about that is the blast zone might be foil but the pathways are not and i would imagine that foil pathways will be left alone for two three four years and that is plenty of time to accelerate 
and and whether or not they they do well whether or not pioneer does well um which is their primary constructed format uh or competitive constructed format edh has the pathways at the top of both the uh zendikar rising and the kel time most played list with percentage inclusion somewhere in the 16 to 20 percent range so whether or not you think these should be in people's edh decks they are in their edh decks and that is all we're going to need to get there on the foils we'll see we'll see (laughs) i'm i'm angry i'm angry that people are playing this it's so bad in edh it upsets me I, i really don't i still just cannot fathom how you think that's the we case. went through this we went through this i laid it out very clearly jason was on my side if memory serves there, there are a, yeah we, we don't need to get into it again <laughs> suffice to say this gives you the color you need when you need it and that's and it never comes into play tapped so that's all i need to know the five color niv to light lists all with pretty much the same configuration in second fourth and sixth Running three Niv Mizzet, uh, uh, sorry, not Niv Mizzet, uh, uh, five color Niv Mizzet, the Reborn version. Two Omnath, four Bring Delight, and all of them running three Vanishing Verse, the new white black kill spell that can only target exile monocolored permanents mm-hmm. over and over again in these lists. Well, I'm not, I'm not surprised to see the Vanishing Verse because we talked about before in, in EDH, you know, the shaving of the one mana. Uh, isn't worth it when you're restricting yourself to monocolored permanence. You, you value the flexibility over the efficiency. But in a format like this, it's totally fine if, you know, because it's part of a suite of removal that your card's a little more restrictive if it's very efficient at what it does. And that's precisely what we're seeing with the Vanishing Verse. Yeah. Now, the hottest list, I think, out of both of these top eights, and it's not close, is this Emergent Turns list, third place in the Pioneer Challenge. This is three five-mana Teferi, not three-mana Teferi, four Arboreal Grazer, four Alrune's Epiphany, and if people can't remember what that does, it's a sorcery for seven that creates two one-one blue bird creature tokens with flying, and then you take an extra turn. You can foretell it and cast it for six instead of seven. But And the it runs- foretell is... You have, to, you have to pay two to exile it, right? As a sorcery. And then Correct. later on, you pay the foretell cost. On any uh, subsequent turn. Yeah. Four Emergent Ultimatum. We'll double back to that in a second. Four Part the Water Veil, which is another six mana taken extra turn after this one. That happens to have Awaken on it. Not that it much matters. Four Pour Over the Pages, which is draw three cards, untap two lands, then discard a card. That's just digging to get your other action going. A Seagate Restoration. Three Shimmer of Possibility, which is basically a worse impulse. One Solve the Equation, which allows you to get exactly what you're looking for. Searches up Instant or Sorcery card for three mana. Four Sylvan Scrying, one Dig Through Time, and four Discontinuity. Pretty sure this is the first time I've seen this in Constructed Magic. Uh, It's an instant out of Core 21. As long as it's your turn, the spell costs four less to cast. You end the turn. So say somebody was trying to counter something on your turn. You could pay two blue and end the turn, clear the stack. If you want to steal their turn, well, say in their up in their upkeep, you pay six. I mean, you're not casting this if someone's trying to counter your spell because then your spell is effectively countered anyways. 
because if if you put a, if you put your creature on the stack True. and then they counter True. it, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this but, is just but, this is this is a six mana time walk because well, but there are sure. So my counter spell example is bad, but let's say they're trying to kill one of your key creatures or destroy a permanent or kill your Teferi Hero of Dominaria with a Vanishing Burst. You could just end the turn with that on the stack. True. That might come up occasionally, but looking at this list, I bet you 90% of the time, if not yeah. more, this is yeah, just yeah. a six mana time walk because you just cast it in their upkeep. Yeah. And then you, you've got the Lotus Fields in the land base um, and Teferi to untap the Lotus Field. So the thing here is go back to the Emergent Ultimatum and remember what this card does. <laughs> double black, triple green, double blue. And this has already done a bunch of work in Standard and and has shown up in other lists in Pioneer, but this is a unique way of using it. Search your library for up to three monocolored cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards. Shuffle that card into your library, and you may cast the other cards without paying their mana costs. <laughs> so you go get three different time warp uh, time walks, and you cast two of them. Mm, not bad. That that's gross. So I, this must be. I'm actually trying to figure out how this deck wins. Uh, I think you have to awaken part the water veils. Yeah, you just take a whole bunch of turns, awaken with part the water veil, which creates a six six. With ha- uh, six six, turns one of your lands into a six six with haste, and then you just have to hit them for a few turns. Yeah, I mean you've got like you, you know Teferi is obviously going to help you, but he won't kill anyone. Like he can't kill anyone. You can exile your opponent's board. Uh, but he can't actually win the game, and you have no way to cycle your graveyard, from what I can tell. So you're not going to deck them. I think you just get to the point where you're awakening and you're part the water veils after you exile all their blockers. The lotus fields, by the way, are an integral part of this deck because the pour over the pages untaps them as well. So you have a couple different tools to uh, generate some mana there. Well, we did miss one finisher. Tefera here of Dominaria's uh, minus eight is. Yeah, but a game winner. It's not, but if, if, it's not because you don't actually win the game. You put your opponent in a position where they can't win, but you can't win the game. Like sure, but they, but they're gonna quit because they're they they'll you'll say, hey, I'm gonna turn one of my lands into a creature and kill you in a few turns. Well, you, I mean, ultimately that's where that's is. Obviously, that's where that's headed. But if you're the guy, if your opponent gets the Teferi emblem online and is is triggering it, but you think he might be out of part the water veils, you sit quietly and let him take his turns because these time walk decks can deck themselves if they like don't get the pieces together quick enough. I mean, if they end up with like all three part the water veils on the bottom of their deck, like you just sit there with no permanent and play and let them take every turn they want because they'll deck themselves potentially uh it was, i'm just pointing out like the fairy doesn't doesn't actually win the game and a deck like this does have the chance of decking itself but it is a nifty list regardless i'm would would be worried i <laughs> like there's so many potential targets here for what to buy but i have a feeling it's probably not none of these this deck on its own probably isn't enough to support much of many of these cards I would need to know the deck was better. Yeah, you want to see it show up fairly frequently. Yeah. And there's definitely a concession to certain decks being good foils to their game plan because they have four Chandra Awakened Inferno in the sideboard, a, a Planeswalker that can't be countered and gives people the emblem uh, where they just start taking automatic damage every turn on off her plus two. So against against decks that can counter what they're up to, they just swap in the Chandras and go to town. Yep. All right, so that's pretty cool. Uh, green, mono green, Coco, 
in seventh place, Old Growth Troll is a four up there, four Collected Company, naturally, and then four Bark Channel Pathway, the blue-green pathway. Uh, and then in eighth place, another Lotus Field deck. This one, uh, just more traditional Lotus Field combo, missing some of its previous combo pieces, but still apparently good enough to get the job done. Yeah, I think if um, you know, when, if we end up with Pioneer being a meaningful part of Paper Magic, uh, Lotus Field might require another uh, pass, another investigation. Yeah, seems fair enough. Uh, top paper movers of the week. All sorts of old border nonsense on the move because people are still targeting that pretty heavily, but I'm not going to go through the 200 cards or whatever that were in theory in motion. Uh, We'll look at some stuff that has reasons to be on the move other than just being old. How about the Bonecrusher Giant Foil Showcases that I talked about as one of my picks last week? I think the pick was... Let's see. Going from 8 to 25, picking them off in Europe... Looks like U.S. pricing went from about 11 to 20 as pro traders pick some off and the market just started to shrink in around them. Uh, pretty sure that one's going to get there. The Goblin Welders out of Commander 2014 jumped from 7 to 12, 70% gains or so, because it works well with Ozgear, who is one of the uh, better and more popular Commander 21 commanders that uh, has popped out of that set. Osgear, of course, reads uh, two red-white for a 4-4 with Vigilance. One sack and artifact. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus zero until end of turn. So that, at minimum, allows you to attack for six with Osgear since he has Vigilance. Uh, and then for X-Tap, exile an artifact card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create two tokens that are copies of the exiled card. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, so lots of fun stuff you can do with that. Uh, if you've got a goblin welder to start keep moving things in and out of the yard. That is, uh, yeah, he's a cool card, goblin welder. I have uh, one of the original foils. Very nifty card. Um, there's a new version of that that's... Uh, was Goblin Engineer out of Modern Horizons, one of my prior picks that has never quite gotten off the ground after it was uh, Urza Lost. Urza in modern lost access to Mox Opal. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. You and I both really liked Goblin Engineer. I think I said it was the best, one of the best cards in the set. Which I mean, I mean, it's it should be right there in your Ozgear deck alongside Welder. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Ayula, Queen of the Bears, doing work this week, huh? Foils from Modern Horizons, ten to nineteen, almost a double. Uh, with Modern Horizons two around the corner, people are going back to the first one. Um, this is, oh, I have to look this one up. This is the two mana. This is the one with the spikes coming out of her head. The two mana grizzly bear. Uh, whenever another bear enters a battlefield, you get one, one counters on target bear or makes bears fight non bears. Um, kind of a, admittedly a bit mediocre, but people don't seem to mind too much. And it's not terribly expensive at a $20 foil. You also just got that other bear and Strixhaven, who I don't remember. Yeah, she's a grizzly bear enabler as well. Patient, patient instructor? Ruxa, patient instructor, the other bear druid. This is a bear druid from, sorry, not Strixhaven, Commander 21. But they all came out at the same time, same damn thing. And that's, um, 
rewards creatures with no abilities, which again is grizzly bears. Yep. So could be a little bit of Ruxa action there, mixed with some modern horizons foil rares just being rare. Yeah. <laughs> at the old foil drop rates. Um, that's going to be an interesting factor with Modern Horizons 2. A, Modern Horizons 2 regular boxes are not supposed to be limited in the same way Time Spiral was. They should be around for a while, just like Modern Horizons 1 boxes were. And 2, I guess I said A, so B, <laughs> the foil, I, I would imagine we're going to be using mod, like the new foil drop rates for Modern Horizons 2. So foils out of Modern Horizons 2 will not will could take longer to get there than they did with Modern Horizons 1. I'd have to s- go back and look at how that's played out in the other product. Because I don't remember like t- the other sets post updated foil drop rates haven't all used the increased foil drop rates, right? Like we know Times Foil Remastered didn't and I'd have to go back and check them. But I think for the supplementary sets, they've broken that trend a couple times. So I, I don't know if I'm convinced Modern Horizons 2 would do that. I'm pretty sure Time Spiral, Hori- Time Spiral Remastered does use the, with the cards that are in the set, uses the the, the new foil drop rates. Only for the cards in the set, though. Maybe that's it. Well, the OBFs are once every 27 packs, but they're that's a whole different matter. Right. Uh, yeah, I'd be. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, we're, I'm not going to know in the middle of recording. And you, you might be right. I would just be curious to go look because I can yeah. see them shifting gears on that. I obviously in supplemental and subset products where they all have the same rarity, or in the case of say VIP borderless, there was a rare and a mythic rarity, um, which was its whole own ratio, but. Within regular booster boxes, they have all, to my knowledge, used the new uh, foil drop rates since Magic 2020. Or Core 20 or whatever it was. The, hmm. the thing that came out right after Modern Horizons. Okay. Uh, moving right along, we've got Kiora's Follower out of Born of the Gods. Original foils gone from 7 to 20. I mean, it's just a generally useful card in green blue strategies and really just any strategy that that runs at least those colors if if not additional ones in the sense that it can untap at minimum a land and potentially other permanents that do more work than that that's uh that's what i did with it (laughs) when i was playing it in modern was untapping lands um in the theros or uh the nykthos decks uh yeah, it's a solid card. I mean, it's certainly taken its sweet time ticking up in price here. I guess we finally just sold the last copy or two and the price jumped, but it is useful. And I mean, you're not going to see it again from God knows how long, right? Like we just went to Theros and it wasn't there. So who knows? Pretty sure I have pretty sure I have Russian promos of this sitting around. And I think even the English promos are still significantly less than $20. So those are and, and arguably have better art. Um, so if you're interested in owning the card and don't yet have a copy, I would take a look at those. Oh, okay. Uh, two things on the move because of the Witherbloom commanders out of the Strixhaven round of products. We've got Creekwood Liege, which gives black and green creatures plus one, plus one for each of their colors. So plus two, plus two. And then it also can manufacture additional tokens, if I'm not mistaken. 
out of Modern Masters 2015, going from 4 to 14, so 250% gains. And then Vampiric Rites Foils out of Battle for Zendikar. It lets you sack a creature, draw a card, and there's some other minor benefit, gain a life or something. Uh, going from 3 to 13. Uh, because if you're fooling around with the Witherbloom commanders, you're going to be messing with token creatures, so making them bigger is nice. Uh, Belladros Witherbloom, of course, creates a pest token at the start of every turn. And you pay 10 life to untap all lands you control, so anything that plays into that is good. And then Dina Soulsteeper is the other uh, Witherbloom commander that says whenever you gain a life, each opponent loses a life, so you want a bunch of your cards to be leaning into that. Mm, I can see that. And it's uh, it's an old card. We don't have a lot of printings of it, just the Modern Masters 2 on. I remember the Lieges. It was a long time ago. It's a long time ago. All right, and then... We're going to get to this in more detail towards the end here, but Channel, Time Warp, Demonic Tutor, Tutor Grape Shot, and then really Ephemerate, Memory Lapse, Faithless Looting, and a bunch of the other good anime art cards from the Mystical Archives Japanese editions have all taken off over the course of the last week, largely driven by uh, buy list pricing from Harayuya and posted retail pricing just day after day, jumping up, 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 up. And we ended up with you know, people catching on to that within a few days in North America. Pro traders caught on pretty early and some other pockets of uh, players and speculators, I'm sure, did as well. And we saw Channel, Japanese Foil, Mystical Archive go from 25 to 75. This is TCG pricing, not Harayuya. Um, the Harayuya pricing on the variant, which we'll get into a little later, is up to 220 um time warp japanese foil mystical archive is went from 100 to 300 in the first week and the, the set variants at 1500 on harry demonic tutor japanese foil mystical archive went from 150 to 500 and whether that floats back down towards 400 as we move out of this hype cycle into into the modern horizons 2-1 in a couple weeks still fairly impressive gains early on um could easily be uh, between the Time Warp and Demonic Tutor, the Vorinclexes or Jeweled Lotuses of the set, as it were. And then Grape Shot, Foil, uh, Mystical Archive. I don't think anybody saw this coming, but went from 15 to 90 or so. And if you can get your hands on a set or regular foil version, Haryu is offering over $400 buy list for those. That's bewildering. These are All of these are a bit bewildering, frankly, but... Okay. Scrap Mastery is the, the biggest mover of the week, and this is also an Oz Gear card. Uh, it's from Commander 2014. It's a sorcery for three and two red. Each player exiles all artifact cards from his or her graveyard, then sacrifices all artifacts he or she controls, then puts all cards he or she exiled this way onto the battlefield. So it's basically living death for artifacts. Yeah, that is a potent card in the decks that want to cast it. So it's basically, if you've been doing Osgear shenanigans and, and filling up your yard, but they handle your Osgear or something, you know, there's been a turning point in the game and you need to get back into combo position, you just fire this off and bring it all back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, you just, you just hold on that card until someone finally wipes the board with Austere Command or something, and then you just scrap mastery and piss the hell out of everyone it is a little awkward though because 
the main ability on Osgear exiles artifact cards from your graveyard and puts tokens into play. So if you've been using that a bunch, you could end up with a fairly empty graveyard and a bunch of cool tokens on the battlefield, which this would just wipe away and not replace. Well, I would imagine you would not cast this in that situation. Yeah. So anyway, that's the uh, top hidden rumors of the week. Looking over at top Magic Online stuff, pretty much all Strixhaven cards that have jumped out ahead of the pack. Silver Quill Silencer, seeing some standard play, went from 0.44 ticks to 0.75 for about 70% gains. Mascot Exhibition, mostly seeing play in standard sideboards where people are using learn cards to pull out good lessons, um, went from 1.97 ticks to 3.27. But there was a very cool deck that has been making some decent runs in Modern. Um, where, let me just pull it up here. This is a Primeval Titan build that used four copies of Field Trip, which is the sorcery that says, search your library for a basic forest card, put that card onto the battlefield, uh, tapped, then shuffle, and then you learn off of that. And the learn can then go get Pest Summoning, Environmental Sciences, Mascot Exhibition, or containment breach out of the sideboard, which either, depending on what they're grabbing, lets them handle artifacts or enchantments, gain, uh, lets them put some creature pest creatures on the battlefield, maybe against burn, where they can block some prowess creatures um, against that white-red prowess deck and then gain a little life. Or they can get an environmental sciences to fill in a blank on a land they need. And the ex mascot exhibition is if they've got a bunch of mana already, this lets them get a three creatures in play pretty efficiently mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's uh not exactly what i would expect but I, I suppose it does does something there the lessons are probably a little better than people thought they were going to be so in response to this i went out and made the biggest brick pit purchase of the year that i've made so far kind of on a lark but sort of as a hmm well at eight cents per copy of foil field trip Went ahead and grabbed, I don't know if it was 350 or 450 copies from Gaming Company on TCG Player, but it was like $36 to lock up hundreds of copies of Foil Field Trip on the basis that maybe they would hit 50 or 60 cents or a dollar or something on Card Kingdom's buy list and I would be up, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars or something down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a slightly abnormal play, but I, I mean... You know, we tend to not have on our radar as much those types of moves where cards go from 15 or 20 cents to 60 or 70 cents or a dollar. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can position yourself like that, they can be very lucrative. Well, this is the kind of play where the only out I would have for this is buy listing. Well, you mean you because... don't want to uh, sell one at a time foils this at a dollar 20 a piece when you bought 400 of them no sir and and if you're a tc direct seller it's a little different right because you might be able to if he's got up to a dollar or dollar 50 you might be able to make it work um you might even function as bait for people to fill out larger carts but yeah i'm I, the presumption here is that this is a future buy list play if this deck actually Sticks around. The thing is, primeval titan builds tend to shift their structure fairly often. 
and they also tend to get new options on a fairly regular basis. And there aren't that many flex slots in the deck. Like they're almost always running the four Amulet Titan, typically have the Summoner's Packs, typically have the Titans, because that's kind of the whole thing. They almost always have the full four Dryad of the Elysian Grove. And so I think it's tough to hold your slots in this build. Um, So I don't have a lot of confidence in in the... uh, learn lesson plan but i'm very curious to see how it plays out okay i i wish you the best of luck (laughs) in the uh top slot here on the top on the magic online movers of the week we have expressive iteration itself going from 0.02 ticks to 0.39 that's 1800 percent gains it's a pity it's very it's uh it's tough to make much money on those i mean even if you were trying hard you'd probably have trouble getting together more than 100 copies of something like that in the opening weekend without moving the price on your own. So more of a interesting footnote than something anybody made much cash on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we can uh, move on here to segment three, paper cards to watch. Uh, I think we got a pretty solid crop here. Um, I'm going to jump in with what looks to me like a fairly obvious one. I already had Vanishing Verse flagged as a medium good uh, point removal spell for EDH, where I suspected it would see at least a Mona come up play over time. The, th- the thing with the point removal spells is they print new ones all the time. And so if unless you are the very best of the best, a path to exile or uh, a, you know, swords to plowshares, it's pretty tough to break into the top ranks. But we did talk earlier on about how in the pioneer builds of Niv to Light, it was showing up as a constant three of. And looking at some of the Niv builds from Modern, where that is also a deck, uh, they were also running some Vanishing Verses. Now, I don't think we've seen a top 8 with it yet in recent memory. Uh, don't think the version we looked at last week was using it in Modern. But between Pioneer, maybe Modern, and EDH, I think it's probably pretty safe to move in on the foil extended art copies, which you can pick up in the US around 7 or 8 bucks. Call that to go, say, 8 to 18 in a year, given that it's in 11% of all the black-white decks that have been built since it was revealed on EDH Rec. Seems pretty safe. Sure. I think the um, reasoning here is solid. It's looking decent. It's okay. It looks okay. I mean, 11% is actually higher than I might have guessed in EDH. Um again, because of the mentioned reasons I mentioned above, but solid there. Uh, and we know that it's looking good in the, you know, the pioneer and modern build you talked about with the, the new visit will probably be a very high contender in any deck that can make black and white mana and both pioneer and modern. Like if you're playing black and white and you want to remove stuff, this is going to be a popular tool. Um, I would imagine dots and taxes, you know, builds will run it. Um, uh, probably a variety of places you'll see this pop up. So, uh, you know, as I'll talk about in a, in a moment, I think that you're probably in pretty good shape going after Strixhaven extended art foils right along here. All right, what's your first selection of the week? Well, I am going to start with uh, a Commander Twenty One card. My my reasoning here is that everyone's attention is been heavily on the Mystical Archives, 
and and it, you you, I, you and I talked about this briefly. I don't remember if this was on cast or off, uh, but I do remember you mentioning it, and I was like, oh, geez, I haven't paid really any attention to the non-mystical archive cards. I should go back and look at those. So that was what I was doing here, and I kind of mixed Strixhaven and Commander 21 together because they're all spoiled at the same time, so they're all the same set as far as I'm concerned. Um, but one of the ones that jumped out at me is Pest Infestation. Uh, Pest Infestation, if you don't recall which one that is, that is a rare green card. It destroys X artifacts or enchantments, and you create um, pest tokens based on the number you destroy. So it blows up a bunch of stuff, and you get pest tokens for it. Um, it is in 9% of uh, EDH decks so far that can play it. It is the fourth most raw numbers from C21. Um, so that means like if you look at the, the total number of decks that those cards have shown up in, uh, our Kaomancer's map is the first is, t- is number one at like 2,500. And Past Infestation is fourth at about 1,000. So, but the important thing in here is that it, it's fourth in terms of number of deck, in terms of raw numbers, but the price ratio to that quantity is very good. The other cards that are in as many, other rares specifically that are in as many decks so far as Pest Infestation and more than Pest Infestation cost three times as much. So Pest Infestation seems like it's kind of under the radar a little bit because even though it's popular, the price hasn't caught up yet. Um, you can get the extended arts for about three bucks right now, depending and depending where you're shopping, you might even be able to find them cheaper. Now, because this is a Commander 21 card, there are no extended art foils of this. You are either get and I don't think there are any foils. I've actually forgot to check that. I don't think there. If there are foils, they're just the normal frame, not the extended art. So I think the extended art is probably generally going to be the preferred version of this card um, until. You have a extended art foil, but God knows when that will ever happen, if ever. So for the time being, this is probably the, the version to go with. And I, you know, one of the things that we like about non-foils is they definitely sell more copies than foils do. Um, and I think non-foils have tended to be some of our better performers on a yearly review. Now we still pick foils a lot because the numbers are look good and um, the supply works in our favor, but when you can find a non-foil that's well positioned, I, I like it. So for me, this is underpriced relative to the amount of play it's seen out of the set so far. You're not really getting a much better version. Um, I think snagging these at $3 or so, you might be looking to get out at between eight and 10, some number of months, a year-ish down the road. Yeah, I think this is totally solid. People need to remember that there are no foils of this. Um, nor with any of the other new Commander 2021 cards, because what they did was they printed the regular versions in the decks, and then in the collector booster boxes for Strixhaven, there is a slot that has a non-foil extended art version of these. So they've set these up to get a foil version further down the road, like Commander Legends 2022 or 23 or something like that. Some of these might show up again. But a lot of these, the premium version is going to be the extended art from the collector boosters, and that could last for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it, they, yeah, like I, they might print a better version of Past Infestation and all of these Commander Twenty One cards, but like when, where, and when would that come? Like it just seems like, sure, like a cl- it's like almost modern day reserve list because where the hell are they going to put that? 
Yep, I agree. Um, my next selection is emergent ultimatum foils on a zero to six month horizon. Already pretty much drying up in North America under $15. You can still get copies in Europe around 8 I think going 8 to 25 seems pretty likely for 200% plus gains um, on the back of it sees some standard play. That's not really the big deal here. It sees some pioneer play. Who knows uh, if that'll be relevant when when paper play comes back with a vengeance. But it's good enough for me that it's in 7% of Sultai EDH rec decks since Ikoria debuted last year. And when we're looking at something like Vanishing Verse and saying that it's in an 11% of black-white decks, I'm less impressed with that number than I am the 7%, because it's easy to be at 11 when a card is front of mind. I would guess that Vanishing Verse will drop to 4 or 5%, maybe, maybe even as low as 3%, by this time next year. Whereas uh, Emergent Ultimatum is already out a year and is still holding 7% of Sultai decks. Um, it's going to be able to do silly busted things forever. It's a pretty unique effect. It's not the kind of thing they print a version of in every set. And seven mana is not a big deal for a Sultai deck in, in EDH. That's basically like turn four or five. So, yeah. $8 on these in Europe seems very likely to get up into the 20 to $30 range pretty easily. Well, I mean, if you're looking at all of the copies in America being you know, between 10 and 15, and there not being that many, that already positions it well. And I agree with you entirely on the um, the percentage points that, you know, and, and I, I cited it in my comment about pest infestation, but it is true that I expect those to be inflated at the start and they will, you know, recess over time a little bit. Now, that's not necessarily a problem if the card is solid, Um when you're talking about new cards with, but you know, with older cards, it's a much more stable price. Older being probably what, six months. Um, I would imagine those start to level out pretty well, essentially once you get past the hype cycle for the set. Uh, and yeah, Bridget Ultimatum is a, is a nifty card in EDH and you've got the sort of outside competitive builds angle. So getting these well under TCG player, I think is, is fun. Yeah, just to be clear, I'm talking about foil extended arts, not just regular foils. Yeah, yeah. All right, your next selection. So my next two are also from, are from the Strixhaven proper, and you you seem to be in the same boat as I am on those. Um, and my my opinion on these is, I, I went and looked. Both of my next two are uh, Strixhaven extended art foils. I went and looked up Throne of Eldraine extended art foils. And those seem to bottom out about five months after the set came out. Now, keep in mind, we are only about a, a month um, from the start of price tracking, essentially, for these cards. So a lot earlier than Throne. If I look at uh, Theros Beyond Death, Theros was hitting their the bottom within a month or two. Um, so the time, you know... There are a lot of potential factors between the two sets. It would require a more significant dive than I was able to perform this evening to really try and feel like you had a, a great read on it. But I think the important thing is that even if you if you dial in on you know to those sets uh, to within about a month after release, they had already dropped most of the way. You, we, there might be a little room for these cards to go down from here, but I don't really mind that because 
I like the idea of buying when supply is high and prices are pretty low, knowing that I'm looking to ride it out for a little while. So the first card I'm starting with here is, oh, I changed your values, not mine. I apologize. I just noticed that you had yours at nine, I think. Whoops. Uh, it's Calling Ritual. Uh, Calling Ritual is currently at $8 for the extended art foils. This is the black green spell that again, destroys all, all permanents or uh, non-land permanents with converted mana costs three or less. Let me just double check Destroy it. each non-land permanent with mana value two, two, or, two less, or less. And then add black or green for each permanent destroyed this yeah, way. Yeah, three or less would have been bonkers. But so it destroys all tokens, soul rings, small mana rocks, small enchantments. Uh, and you get mana back for them. So a lot of times it's, it costs you one mana to cast, or it even makes you mana. Um, and I, this this caught my attention on the first pass, for, you know, to begin with. And then I saw, I think it was Shivram uh, on Twitter saying that, you know, talking about somebody else. Somebody else had commented that it was better than they thought, and he was agreeing with them that it seemed quite good. So, you know, I, I value input from people who are playing the game and not financially focused pretty highly because those are the people who who know what they're going to buy, right? These are the people you're trying to sell cards to. And they were talking about it being pretty solid. It's at 20% of decks made so far. So very high ratio. Uh, again, that'll drop because it's brand new, but that's still quite good. Uh, it's the fifth highest, I think, uh, raw number card from Strixhaven. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of factors here I like. Um, the Extended Art Foils at eight is pretty cheap, especially for something that seems pretty playable so you know if you're buying at eight i think your goal is probably between 15 and 20 um again about a year-ish out maybe a little less maybe a little more but that's kind of what i'd be shooting for this card's interesting because if your deck is ramping hard without artifact mana this thing is a beating like if you go far seek into cultivate or something and then on turn four or five you culling ritual and they've got a whole bunch of stuff on the board soul rings and mana vaults and mana crypts and early creature plays and maybe they got a a, a little enchantment they they dropped in there like a sylvan library or a, a island sanctuary or something culling ritual just clears the whole board and gives you all the mana back unless you cast your commander or something mm-hmm but it's not it's not quite that simple because ideally in, in EDH you are running those mana rocks. So either you want this to show up in hand without them or you want to build or you're building a deck where for whatever reason you don't want the mana rocks on the table. You know, if you have calling ritual in your deck, it doesn't. I don't. I don't think it means you can't build mono rocks. It's or play with mono rocks. It's maybe if you're deciding between a two mono rock and a three mono rock when you're building your deck, you pick the three. Um, or even still, like you can just put this in your deck, and if you have a board where you have small permanents in play, then you don't cast it. You know, you kind of wait, and if you, you know, if you don't, then you play it. Um, you know, you get to choose when to cast the cards. So it's it's fine if it's not necessarily the right time to cast it, but yeah, I mean you can you can kind of design your deck to be to sidestep it a little bit. And it helps a lot. You can also kind of lean into it and play small permanents that you want to die, knowing that sometimes you'll get to cast Cullen Ritual and really get paid off on them. Um, uh, those creatures from Kamigawa Block, I think. 
the little dudes that die and have effects, but then it's Zubaras. Yeah, the Zubaras. And I think there's some other small cycles floating around that kind of function the same way. Um, you know, you could lean into it like that. But I think just having the ability to just kind of, if you just look at it as a, well, sometimes my opponents are going to put a ton of tokens in the play and I'm just going to clean up with this when that happens um, and get an explosive turn out of it. I think that's a totally fine way to play it. Yeah, it, it is probably worth flagging that late game, the downside, even if you have Mana Crypt and Soul Ring in play and your own Silver and Library, it might be fine. You might It might be a 4 for 20 yeah. or a 4 for 600 mm-hmm. or something. And it's, um, I would say it's green black too. Like you're not playing. It's, it's not like a, a blue white card where you're leaning harder on mono rocks. If you're yeah. playing green, you should be playing land green drop kind of, ramp. Yeah. So I I buy it. I I was looking at it myself to put on the list. Um, I think that good foil extended art rares um, that are going to see a lot of commander play in on them under ten dollars is pretty safe i don't can't guarantee you this isn't get gonna fall to four and a half dollars midsummer or something on tcg player but i don't hate this entry point and if i saw it any cheaper i'd just be buying some more the one of the factors that people need to be aware of with the strixhaven collector booster boxes which is where these come from is that these share a slot with uh actually do they share a slot let me just think about that. Collecting Strixhaven is the go-to article on this topic. Let me just double-check that slot. Extended art or... Yeah, they do share a slot. There's a slot. Slot 3 is Foil Mystical Archive, Borderless, or Extended Art Rare or Mythic. So... You, you only get these in about half the packs because they're sharing with the foil Japanese uh, foil Japanese and global art mystical archives. Um, the borderless planeswalkers and dragons that are out of Strixhaven. And so these don't have that high of a drop rate, but there is a counter trend, which is that the mystical archives are sucking up a ton of the EV. And what that means for as long as big cracking operations in Europe and gaming company on uh, TCG have access to more inventory is that they can afford to price these pretty cheap, given that they're going to get so much of their value out of, you know, the foil mystical archive Japanese time warps and the demonic tutors and the channels and the grape shots and whatever. So that will have a dragging effect on some of the mid tier cards that can be found in these slots. Yeah, and I, I, you're, you're right. It's, it, it is. It makes us a little bit awkward. Is, is how much is the mystical archives going to impact these prices? Is this going to behave more like a throne of all drain where the prices bottom out in five months, versus, you know, Theros where they bottomed out in a couple weeks? I, I, I obviously don't have that answer, and neither was do I. I could see these dropping a little bit, but I still think that the long-term prospect on them is pretty healthy. Um, oh, yeah. If, if you want to, if you want to be a little gun shy and wait until you see the price start to rise again, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, at the very least, you know, <clears throat> if you find a good price on it, maybe you wait, but I could see waiting a week or two just to see how things look in a couple days. 
I think it also depends how many you want. If you're looking to get one for your deck, I have faith that you could wait in, you know, out into in, somewhere in between Modern Horizons 2 and the D&D set. And these prices, you might be able to pick off a real cheap copy on TCG Player for your personal deck. If you want a brick, like if you're trying to get 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 copies, your option to wait is not guaranteed. Because somebody like me might decide that I'm willing to pay 2 or $3 more than you on the basis that I believe it's going to be a 100% gainer inside 16 months anyway and snap it off before you get the chance. Mm-hmm. Now, that might also trigger the vendor that sold that to me to go ahead and crack more product and list it again, but it's not going to happen on the back of one brick purchase. You know, like they they have to open a tremendous amount of product to get 50 more copies of these things. So that has to be going on across the board. The whole the whole uh crack job has to sell well so if the set is still selling well into midsummer then you could well see big cracking operations go at it again if they can get their hands on a few thousand more units of the cbs but it's not a guaranteed thing so just you know things to keep in mind on depending on you know whether this is for personal use or inventory Mm -hmm. but yeah i I like calling ritual a lot i think it's a a good selection and I, i put it pretty close to on the level with my next selection which is monologue tax the second most played card out of commander 2021 according to edh rec um you got 14 percent of all white decks reporting using it let's go ahead and guess that that's going to come down to something like six or seven percent by this time next year still a pretty healthy number um it'll be over 10,000 decks within the year pretty clearly uh you can pick up the extended arts of this at around 13 dollars Pretty much the same price in Europe uh, and and the U.S. right now, somewhere between twelve and fourteen. This is another su- situation where, if you want a whole bunch of them, you might want to grab them now, on the basis that you think it's going to be a double up or better, or you could wait till midsummer and try to get a few bucks cheaper um, to get your copies, especially if you're not going to be playing anytime soon with your friends. Uh, the call is thirteen to thirty, inside twelve months. Might take a little less, might take a little more, but the card is a not quite as good smothering tithe, and that's still going to be good enough. I was looking at these myself and trying to decide how much I like them, but if you're, I mean, if you're talking about Europe, then that's definitely the angle. Uh, I mean, I, well, in this in this case, Europe's not any cheaper. Like uh, Europe and US are about the same price. About the same price. It's, it's still obviously going to be a very popular very strong card from the set um was monologue tech was was in strixhaven commander Commander 2021 yeah so this wouldn't be foil then right nope you can only get non-foil extended art okay i just have to fix this spreadsheet here so i'm keeping track of that um for my own purposes (laughs) uh yeah i i the card is very good it's going to be extremely popular. I think you're right. It's going to be in 10, 12, 13,000 decks, maybe more a year from now. So, you know, if you look at Smothering Tithe, that card is like 50 bucks now. You know, 13 to 30 seems totally plausible. There's another card that I didn't put on the list here that people should probably at least have their eye on, and that's Ink Shield, which lands squarely in between Archaeomancer's map, which will almost certainly be a selection on this cast shortly, and Monologue Tax. Ink Shield is an instant for three white-black. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to you this turn, and for each one damage prevented this way, 
create a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying. So if they swing at you with 600 tokens, you make 600 flyers in response. I you know it's funny because I saw that card and I actually really dislike Ink Shield. It has been very popular so far, but I don't I, I don't like cards that are this reactive. I mean, like you have someone it, has to swing at you to deal a lot of damage. And then I mean, you keep get my, to make a bunch of tokens. I don't know. It just it seems like one of those cards where sure there will be scenarios where it's fantastic, but I feel like there'll be plenty of games where you end up using it to stop four damage. Keep in mind that Teferi's Protection is a mega staple and it is entirely a reactive card. Well, but the difference is that that is applicable to many more situations. Like, Teferi's Protection is like, ah, uh, something's happening that I don't like. I'm I'm leaving. Whereas Ink Shield is two more mana, so I have to leave up five and not three. And yep. it's, you are attacking me for a lot of damage which is a much narrower set of circumstances than you are doing something that impacts the board. So I understand it's popular right now and maybe over time it will play out better than I, than I think. But when I look at it, it doesn't do anything for me. It's, it's a boring card too. Like it's not, it's not interesting. It's not fun. People don't put this in their deck to be excited. So even if it's good, it's not interesting. The one thing that's got me interested though, is that, again, there's only the extended art as the premium version of the card, and that's likely that that's all we'll get for quite some time. And because it's called Ink Shield, it's very specifically referencing Strixhaven, so it's not the kind of thing they're just going to throw into random products. And the extended arts are four times less expensive than uh, Monologue Tax. You know, you're looking at $13 for the Monologue Taxes. For Ink Shields, which are ostensibly reported in more decks on EDH Rack, you're talking about $3 in Europe. So, the it could be half as popular and still be better ROI. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't buy Ink Shield personally because I just don't believe in it, but I can understand how it could work out for you. I haven't bought it because I don't want to sell it at six or seven dollars if that's what it gets to. <laughs> um, generally preferring to sell cards ten dollars and up. But if it ends up being a buy list play, I won't be surprised if I'm if I uh, if it ends up somebody flagging it in the Discord that they made two or three times on it via buy list. Yeah, yeah, not disagreeing. All right, your final selection? Uh, the other one I'm going with is Arch Archmage Emeritus, who is a uh, seemingly, I would imagine, a probably going to be a bit of a staple in blue EDH decks that cast spells to form on a 2-2, which is, you know, 2-2 two is not your favorite, but it doesn't really matter in this format. Uh, but it's every time you cast an instant or sorcery, draw a spell. Okay. Draw, Just, draw a card. Yeah, I'm going to draw a lot of cards with this card. Uh, especially if you copy him because he's not legendary, so you can draw even more. Um, you can go real wild with Archmage Emeritus. It's just, just an enabler, essentially, an engine. Um, the extended art foils are 8 bucks right now. Same thing as Culling Ritual. It's in 12% of decks uh, since it was released. It's the fourth most played card out of the set. Uh, and the supply is lower on Archmage Emeritus relative to some of the other rares. It seems like people have been buying more of this card. Um just based on how many are I, I was able to find. So I think he's got some popularity there. Some sort of quiet popularity. 
Um, so, you know, overall the same lessons as, as everything else we've talked about here, but it's another card that jumped out at me as, as being a good intersection of um, EDH numbers, price point, supply, all that good stuff. How much are the non-foils? Because I bet you bricks of those are going to be a thing as well. Just the super pack version. Base, most basic one looks like it's $1.50 or 2 bucks. The extended arts are three and a quarter, maybe three fifty. I guess the issue, one of the issues here is it does have a foil promo. Yeah, but it's just, it's not, it's a normal border. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, ex- the extended art's pretty clearly still the winner there. Yeah, and the art on the promo is not that good. The extended art is much, much more interesting. Still mildly generic, but at least the colors are good and the composition is good. Inventory has already been bit off pretty hard on these. I think they got down to four to six dollars. And people took some swipes at them in the opening week. You've only got 21 results for the foil extended arts on TCG Player at present, which is uh, very few indeed. And I think there was a huge brick from the gaming company that got bit off by a pro trader. Oh, um, he's going to be happy to hear me talking about it. Well, this one's obvious. This is like basically Beast Whisperer for spells, right? So Yeah, that's true. Uh, pretty much everybody recognizes that this is going to be a thing. Um, <laughs> and it going from... 8 to 18 by your reckoning might even be conservative. I could, I could see it easily being 8. Even if it gets down to, say, 6 midsummer with some additional copies floating around, 6 to 30 within 16 months seems very likely to me. I'd rather be on the more conservative side than not. Uh, sure. So I'm not <laughs> so, so I'm not trying to explain to all of you why it didn't hit $50. But yeah, I mean, it could certainly... Sometimes I look at these cards and think they could do better than what I've outlined, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself all right our pro trader selection of the week uh winning themselves a 25 dollars gift certificate from cool stuff inc is member sods s-o-d-s uh flagging the demonic tutor global arts in europe around 30 dollars currently on tcg player and other vendors between 40 and 50 dollars in the u.s and of course, all of the attention this week has been on the Japanese Mystical Archive version with the super, super cool art, uh, regular versions, foil versions, foil etched versions, and the J- Japanese identified set and regular booster box foil variants, which we'll talk about in more depth in a minute. But the reality is that the Demonic Tutor art for the global art version in Mystical Archives is still a mythic. It's still very hard to come by outside of the collector booster boxes. And even there, it's not that easy. Um, and you need something like, I think, 25 boxes to find one or something like that. And for the the foil versions to go, uh, sorry, non-foil versions to go 30 to 60 within the year seems very reasonable, given that it, it is still a very good-looking version of Demonic Tutor. Um, and there are still, there's still a huge swath of players that just want all their cards in English. That, that even if the card is obvious what it does, they want to be able to read it, so... Uh, this card will sell well. So we're talking about the English language, the English, the global art, so not the Japanese one, the global art, English language, demonic tutor. Correct. Okay. Um, for 30 bucks. Yeah, that's pretty solid. I mean, demonic tutors... Uh, let's see. This is a, oh, this is a judge promo. It was 160. What a stupid artwork too. Uh, yeah. I mean, all the other versions of this are 
40 some odd dollars, 40 to $50. So if you're paying 30, you're in pretty good shape. Um, I, I, I mean, Re Revise took off this year. You used to be able to get Revise copies around 10 or $15. Now market price on Revise is 49. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why this wouldn't climb up towards 50. So works for me. Alrighty, so $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc., our lovely sponsor, going to Pro Trader Sods this week. Now, spread them the on your lawn. <laughs> topic of the week um, there have been some really strange, from the perspective of most North American players and collectors, uh, price movements that have been driven from Harajuya in Japan. And we touched on this last week, but I think last week we were talking about. It primarily from the perspective of, hey, surprise, it's not Demonic Tutor, but uh, Time Warp, Grape Shot, and Channel, which were later followed by some other cards, that have exploded hardest for the Mystical Archive foils in Japan. Um, since then, Haruya has gone another additional step and identified that the foil Mystical Archive uh, Japanese cards that come out of collector boosters are inferior to the versions that come out of regular and set booster boxes, specifically referring to Japanese regular booster boxes of Strixhaven and Japanese set booster boxes of Strixhaven. Uh, the reason there's a difference at all is that they're, they are printed in different facilities. All collector booster boxes, no matter the language, including Japanese, uh, are printed in uh, Dallas, if I understand it correctly, at a Cardamundi facility that has been uh, infamous for having quality control issues um, for better part of a year and a half. Whereas Japanese set booster boxes and regular booster boxes are printed at a facility in Japan. The difference between the, the variations, which in theory should be the same, are very subtle. You have to have two cards, the same one from a set booster box or a regular booster box and one from a CB side by side to really get a sense of it. But the easiest way to describe it is that there is a subtler foiling process. It seems thinner and less rainbowy, um, especially clear in the text box area where it will seem significantly less uh, dynamic in terms of the foiling. And what and it I, I think overall what it means, given my express uh, given my uh, experiences printing uh, marketing print projects for clients, is that the foiling process is probably a thinner layer in the Japanese facility. Because one of the things you notice with the uh, Japanese versions of these cards is the rarity symbol in the middle right side of the Japanese mystical archives pops better and is less muddled. And I think that is uh, a function of how much gloss layer is over top of it, or how much foiling layer spray lands over top of it. Um, there's also some differences in the corners. The corners are said to have a different uh, cut pattern between the two, but that's not super definitive, as far as I can tell. Um, we do have some good information on this racked up in the Pro Trader Discord. Um, and you can also find stuff floating around on Reddit and Facebook and what have you. 
Um, the bottom line is this. If you open a foil mystical, Japanese mystical archive out of a Japanese set booster box, or you randomly happen to have a Japanese regular booster box, which does not have distribution in North America, so you're probably pretty unlikely to have it on hand, but there is a wave of Japanese set booster boxes coming to North America, and as this has all been going on, I've noticed that retailers have started to up the price on those pretty much across the board uh, as news spreads that the versions of these cards that come out of these uh, boxes are the preferred ones, at least in Japan, according to Haruyuya. This is so confusing. The, the, the collector... The collector's boosters on the Japanese Mystical Archives are are better. The set boosters are better. The set boosters are better. Than the collector's boosters. Mm-hmm. Because the collector boosters, even the Japanese cards, are made in the U.S. Okay, so and, all, all the collector's boosters versions of... All the collector's boosters of all languages are printed in America. But the set boosters are printed here and Japan. The set boosters for Japan are only printed in Japan so far. Now, so what? And so what? So what that means is that the Japanese mystical archives that come out of the set boosters printed in Japan have a better foil than the Japanese mystical archives printed in the collector's boosters, which are printed in America. And this is especially okay. ironic because. If you rewind the tape just two weeks, a lot has happened. Remember that during the hi- initial hype cycle during preview season, Wizards was talking up the biggest, the most exciting thing in these collector booster boxes as being the etched foils, which have their own slot. But then as people actually got those in their hands, they realized that they are extremely underwhelming, especially the Japanese foil ones, because they have a different border than the global art ones where it's a little bit more pronounced what's going on with the with the etched uh, effect. Um, but on the Japanese one, it's, it's basically a thin border around the tax box and a couple of other details. And so they are very, very underwhelming. And yet all the vendors pretty much across the world had the etched uh, foil copies priced above the uh, regular foil mystical archives um, out the gate. And it took a, a, somewhere between half a week and a week before that inversed which we called pretty early after we had seen cracking data out of Europe, because it there not only are the foil mystical archives m- much more impressive and dynamic in person because they're basically foil extended arts, um, but there's actually less of them because they don't have a dedicated slot. They share that slot that we were talking about earlier with the other foil extended arts from the set, rares and mythics, the borderless dragons, the borderless planeswalkers, and the global. Uh, the global art foil mystical archives. So <laughs> it's it's extra ironic because Wizards got, not only did Wizards get it wrong that the foil etch would be the big deal, but it also turns out that the version you can get in the set booster boxes is, which are of course half the price of the uh, collector booster boxes, is going to end up being the, the uh, ultimate version on a global basis. To the point where the time warp foil draft or set booster version of the mystical archive with Japanese art is $1,450 on buy list on Harry right now. Whereas the 
collector booster version, they're only offering 450 So you get an extra $1,000 bill if you pull one of those out of a collector booster box and you can get it over to Japan. That's wild. And that's buy list. That's not, that's not retail. Retail on that card currently, according to Haruya, and most of the other retailers in Japan have fallen into line as they tend to, uh, is... It's been climbing every day, so you have, if you don't check it in 12 hours, it might shift, but it's been going nowhere but up. They're showing the draft set booster version at $3,000, 300,000 yen, sold out. So they basically declared it the next Amano Liliana, Dreadhorde General. That is... Uh... A lot. That is a huge difference. That's such a huge difference. Like I, it. I wonder how hard it is to get Japanese set boosters now. Well, we we have a group buy going on for in the Discord right now, which has renewed interest. <laughs> but there's there's a there's another factor to consider in that that we'll get to in a second. First, I want to underline the point that it's a it's not just a huge difference; it's a really huge difference because Haruyu is basically saying we don't even have any copies of this right now. But if we did, we would want three thousand dollars for them. Meanwhile, they started at about a hundred, a little under a hundred dollars, like somewhere between eighty and a hundred during opening weekend last week for Strixhaven um, on TCG Player, and then this whole craze from Japan. You know, the rumors started spreading that, hey, Japan's paying way more for these. These are worth more than you think they are. And the the foil Mystical Archive time warps on TCG Player, where they do not differentiate between the variants, and may, and may never do, because with the Series 1 and Series 2 uh, and promo pack versions of the foil Japanese uh, War of the Spark Planeswalkers, Japanese alternate art, they never recognize that at all. And none of the major vendors in the U.S. have done much in the way of recognition. I think it's... I'd have to double check whether C, whether Card Kingdom eventually recognized the rarer version of Amano's. I can't remember off the top of my head for sure. But even if they did, they might have been one of the only ones. Um, so for the average U.S. player that's holding like one of these cards... You know, it might be tempting for them to be like, well, that's a Japan thing. Like, why should I care? Well, you should care because on a Japanese-focused magic collector's site on, say, Facebook or, you know, some other social platform, you might be able to connect to somebody in Japan that can help you arrange a private sale. And when you're talking about a card being $10 in the U.S. and $16 in Japan, it's generally not worth your time to even be paying attention. But when there's a $1,000 gap because you pulled one out of a set booster box, you should probably make the effort to join ProTrader or go on Facebook or call around to stores in Japan or find somebody that speaks Japanese that can help you out or whatever, because the gap really is that big. That and is, it's... It's significant. I, like, that's enough to make it worth the effort. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is that, of course, what ended up happening happening is a cascade. People were scouring eBay, TCG Player, Facebook, whatever, trying to find set booster versions of not just Time Warp, but basically the top 10 or 15 cards in the set. Because, it, you know, they knew that they were out there 
And even though they were in much smaller quantity, it seemed like it was going to be worth it to buy at least the Collector Booster versions. And if one out of every 10 times you hit a Set Booster version, you're kicking some serious ass. Mm-hmm. Because it's also, it's also also there's also big gaps for Demonic Tutor, Channel, Grape Shot, uh, Tainted Pact, Teferi's Protection, and that... And along the way, we started to see Crux of Fate, Counterspell, Memory Lapse, Dark Ritual, Lightning Helix, Lightning Bolt, um, and and Ephemerate all start to take off. Like, I was buying Japanese uh, foil Mystical Archive Ephemerates in the U.S. under $15, most of which are going to be collector booster boxes versions that... Uh, Harry Yu is only offering $50 on or $45 on. But if some of them end up being from set boosters, they go up to $75. Yeah, this is a, a strategy that I've used to good effect in, uh, believe it or not, video games in games with marketplaces where you have, um, you know, you're, you're sort of, you have, a, uh, you're, you're purchasing something that has a random, it could be one of one of several things, you know, you're essentially like you're, you're buying a treasure chest kind of that you then crack. And it's like, OK, well, if I'm buying the treasure chest for 10 and the cheapest version of the thing that comes out of the treasure chest is 10, 10 my worst case scenario is I break even. But if I get lucky and open the good one, I've made a bunch of money. Uh, and, you know, so my profit averages out based on those odds, but it can be very lucrative. And this is the same thing. And that's actually Similar to something I did back when the Expeditions came out um, from Battle for Zendikar, and they were coming out of packs in they were coming out of packs damaged, and to the point where Wizards had to start a turn-in program where you could send them like LP copies where the edges were damaged from the packaging, and they would send you near mint ones. And I was just buying LP copies from TCG Player, hoping that it was the right kind of damage. So that I could then ship it to Wizards and get it flipped for a near mint one. I was really proud of that. That was clever. Uh, I wish those stupid expeditions took off harder than they did. But this is quite a scenario they've got themselves into. And it's not far from the first time we've seen it. Um, I, I do, well, to rewind a little bit, I remember uh, it was like two weeks ago when uh, I had some CSI credit floating around and started poking around the CSI pre-order prices and they were comically off from tcg player and i was like what the hell is going on here like something's wrong somewhere and i had seen a tweet or two about the etch foils and everybody wanted more money for the etch foils but the pack foil the the non the normal foil showcases or mystical archives are better so i was like i think these are what i'm supposed to buy because if people are buying foils they want them to look cool and the prices are lower. So this sounds good. And like, I ch- I remember asking you, I'm like, is this, how does this, the numbers on this play out? And we had talked about that a little bit. It was quite a, so we were a little ahead of the ballgame on that one. But, you know, this, this is hardly a new problem. I actually, re- just like last week, I sold somebody an invention lightning greaves. And uh some of the inventions in my inventory must have come from a different printer because he you know brought up the fact that it looked different than the other ones he had because there were like regional printing differences in inventions and i had to be like no it's not a fake it's not a counterfeit like depending on which printer these came out of they had different 
subtle variations. Uh, so there are actually a lot of cards out there with very with differences in how they play out uh, that people might not realize and are not listed that way in most re- most markets. Yeah, and the funny thing here is that the the even the foil etched time warp is by listing at a, at 18,000 yen on Harry right now. Which the, is sorry, the, like the what is what? The foil etched time warp. Okay. So, the the best version is foil mystical archive Japanese time warp out of a set or regular booster box. The second best version is the one out of the collector booster box out of the foil slot. The third best version is the foil etched. And even that they're offering 18,000 yen on, which is like 160, 165 US. And you can get those on TCG tonight at $85. Hmm. Some there's versus games that San Francisco has seven copies at 85. In theory, that put, even if you got to put some effort in, that's going to put you up 40 or 50 bucks a copy, even after all your transportation and like commission fee might give a person on the ground domestically in Japan. And that's assuming that you buy list them and don't just go for a private sale because your best bet may not be a buy list unless you're dealing with a a large amount of inventory if you've just lucked into one one of these time warps you might just want to go on a facebook group that's that's you know find somebody that lives in japan speaks both languages and get them to handle it for you yeah yeah and i mean for the the prices we're talking about on some of these it's uh enough money that it's worth it now, let me give you one of the other twists that needs to be people need to keep in mind, because this is going to be relevant shortly. Originally, I heard out of Europe that Japanese set booster boxes were going to be one and done, that there was like several thousand boxes headed to Europe, and then there wasn't going to be any more. People in vendors in the US were saying, well, Wizards actually put out a notice saying that there's not going to be very many of these up front, but they're going to get more to us later. So now the word is that they're, you know, they'll follow through on that, and there will, in fact, be another wave of them. We've been telling pro traders the safest way to to handle all of this is to assume that this will end up being like the Japanese war of the Spark Booster boxes, where they were impossible to come by for about six weeks, and then a wave hit midsummer, and then they got pretty cheap. They they'll show up on Amazon later, and then you know it'll feel like there's tons of them around for about a year, and then it's going to be time to start stacking cases away because they're going to turn into like Strixhaven set booster boxes and collector booster boxes are going to be rocket ships two to three years out. I have zero, zero doubt in my mind. Like the, it's some of the highest quality standard product that's ever been produced. Given, given the number, the kinds of cards you can pull out of a standard product, right? Like mm-hmm. demonic tutor out of your collector, your collector booster box was not possible in, in, in Cal time. Yeah. Cal time was relatively much more reserved on that front. Well, and you referenced like Throne of Eldraine, right? There's nothing special in that set. Well, there's just, there was there's Oko, just a, but... <laughs> there's, no, 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 but there's nothing that like was not printed for standard. They only started doing stuff like that later. Oh, uh, yeah, Str- right, and, right, and, right. And, and Strixhaven is, is the fullest expression of that we've seen to date, where they say, you know, here's a subset, a mas- masterpiece set, as it were. They're basically masterpieces. And we're just going to change how we formulate this you're not just going to get one potentially random per box you're going to get you know you're going to get one per pack and non-foil 
the foils are going to be harder to come by. And the foil etched, you can only get in the collector boosters. Turns out they probably should have done that the other way around. Should have been the foils you can only get in the collector boosters and the foil etched were available in the regular and set boosters. And then this that would have nipped a lot of this in the bud. But there's one other factor. What we saw with the Japanese War of the Spark Boxes was that subsequent waves did end up getting produced in the U.S. And so the Amanos that came out of the later boxes that were U.S. produced are referred to as S2. They are not worth the same in Japan as the ones that were Japanese produced. So even if Japanese set booster boxes turn up en masse in the U.S., the question will be, is that wave made in Japan or made in the U.S.? Because if it's made in the U.S. and all subsequent waves that target North America are also made in the U.S., then it won't really matter whether there's four, five, six, seven, or eight of those waves from a Haryuya's perspective. All they're going to care about is how many waves they get that are made in Japan. Because that's going to determine how much of the pre the, the ultimate version of the foil time warps and channels and grape shots and so forth actually exist in the market and will dictate whether these prices float down or float up over time. And it will also mean that cases and boxes sealed of Japanese-produced product are probably worth leaving sealed for a couple of reasons. One, the they're going to be worth a lot more than the U.S. boxes down the road from a Japanese perspective. So two years from now, you could throw them up on eBay, open it up to global shipping, and turn on servicing to Japan and probably do pretty well. And B... It's really hard. What One of the things that makes the set and regular booster box foils more expensive is it's way, way harder to find them in those boxes than it is to get them in a collector booster box. Like, you need 25 boxes or something to find a foil Mystical Archive Japanese Time Warp, but you need 800 to 1,000 boxes of set booster boxes to do the same thing. I... So what I'm what I'm getting at is that the set booster boxes are largely lottery tickets, and if the Japanese produced ones are going to carry a premium down the road, I would rather put those aside, and then if I wanted to crack some for fun or to fuel my own collection, crack some of the U.S. generated ones that come out later. Yeah, it it's such a mess, and I really hate the way this ends up playing out because even if you know what you're looking for, you basically don't know if you're going to be able to get it. Like. Okay, there's Japanese set booster boxes for sale in America, but what the hell is inside of them, right? Like, is this a good one or isn't it? And you don't actually get to know, and it's like... uh, Well, I mean, the word's going to get around, but again, it's funny because this will not actually be a fiasco or even a thing that most players remember. 99% of the Magic community will not even hear of this issue, or if they hear about it, they'll forget about it a week later and never think about it again. Yes. There's tons of the people that sold set booster foils this weekend on ebay probably have no idea that they that the person they sold it to just made a ton of money yep would agree with that and and this kind of issue tends to get buried right like the this s1 s2 foil war walkers thing if i bring that topic up on facebook or somewhere else outside of our discord it tends to be met with a bunch of blank stares question marks and people wanting fresh explanations because most people don't know that's even a thing either. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. It's absolutely the type of thing that just disappears into the aether and only the people who know, know, but it's not well known. Um, 
Like, I don't even know if there's any good Wikipedia entries on the variants for the Japanese foil warwalkers. And without without something like that, like that kind of stuff just tends to disappear. Wizards is never going to comment on any of this at all. No, 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 no. And 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 also we'll have no reason to change it in future. The because they acknowledge that printing variation from country to country is just going to be a thing that they just live with and it's not a big enough change for anything to matter. And since this is like plus hype without actually subtracting, it's not like that that some of the product is bad. It's just that the Haruyuya has tried to make a play here where they're claiming some of it is even better. And the, and the funny thing there that people need to keep in mind is that Haruyuya is playing a very smart game here. And they're going to run this pattern back as many times as they can. Like, expect them to be looking for these kind of variants in every Magic product moving forward. And where they detect them, they're going to slap some price tags on stuff and dare the market to react. Because all this is, is Harry Yuya saying, okay, this stuff was selling better than we thought it would. You know, the, the art has been popular and these cards have been flying off the shelf. But did that justify moving the time warp to $3,000? No, probably not. Like, they they are stretching the... Testing the elasticity, price elasticity of these products in the market, knowing full well that collectors are a massive segment in Japan and that they don't actually need to move that many copies at the $3,000 price point. Like, I'm, I'm willing to bet you if I can come up with 100 copies, they're not going to buy them all. Right? Like oh. they, they, pro- they probably figure they can sell f- five or six a week at five or $600, but once they move it to 3000 it might be once a month kind of thing, and it's going to trail off over time. And we're going to see some of what we saw probably with the foil force of negation, uh, foil force of wills out of uh, Double Masters Japanese packs where they soared up to 3500 US I believe and now I think they price them around 1500 if I'm not mistaken because the heat the heat's just off right it's it's uh there's no way that Haruya would want 100 copies of these most likely because like they know that trying to sell through that could take forever and that's not the game they're trying to be in uh but I agree with you that you know if they can isolate specific cards that are even an additional tier of rarity a sort of hidden rarity that yeah i mean that's you know they they definitely want to operate on that and it's not to say that like star city couldn't do the same thing but so far it seems like haria is more interested in trying to make that happen especially being an international vendor they kind of have a different I think different access to that strategy than uh, than other people might. Um, My I, guess is that most of the U.S. vendors just look at stuff like this as I would have to update a bunch of my digit my e-commerce infrastructure to support this, and we'd have to re-educate our buying teams. We would have to be scrutinizing what we bring in a lot more carefully. And so they don't make any of that official. But I would be willing to bet that there, you know, a, a memo might go out to the team where if they're buying, you know, they're getting foil uh, mystical archive Japanese time warps in. They're supposed to check such and such to see if they want to try to sell them off to Japan. 
I mean, they're yeah. not they're not they're not foolish, but just because they don't acknowledge it in public doesn't mean they're not figuring out how to back channel this stuff to their contacts. Well, that could, I mean, that could be true too, right? Um, you know, they then for all we know, they have that arrangement set up already where they just kind of ship it off to Harry and let them deal with it. Uh, so I mean, I think I think the the bottom line is that the the time to act is probably you know, five days ago and, and the, the clock is ticking because what I would expect to happen from here on out is Harayuya is going to open a bunch more product and then try to sell it based on the prices they've claimed are the prices. And if the market bites, then the prices will hold. If the market doesn't, Harayuya will, on their next sale, put some of, mark some of this stuff down 40% and it'll look like a bargain. Yeah. When, it, when in fact, it's still ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, you know, you almost kind of wonder if you really want to put on your tinfoil hat, if Wizards is going to sort of not encourage it, but they're not going to go out of their way to fix this necessarily, because now you get these sort of like secret hidden versions of cards that like most players don't know about and don't care about, but it does create this extra kind of distinction point point of interest that players can choose to care about and collectors can go after and it creates a bit of a, a living lore for the card essentially for um, sure I mean, it, it moves cardboard i mean i know yeah. for a fact that pro traders bought 40 or fifty thousand dollars worth of this stuff this weekend yeah so i mean it's kind of in their best interest to allow this as well so like are they telling they're the different manufacturing plants or printing process to do it slightly differently. Um, probably not. Are they working that hard to make sure they're absolutely identical? Uh, no. no, they're fine if this sort of thing happens. Yeah. And the, I guess the final point is that people need to just in Google Chrome, go to Harayuya if you got some of the stuff, keep an eye on their retail and buy list prices and whether the gap is shift getting tighter or further away. Because if the buy list is dropping and the retail price is going up, that's a sign of them trying to pump the price. If the, if the retail price is going up and the buy list is going up and stays up for a long while, it says that the cards are selling well. Um, if the retail price and the buy list price drops, it says that they're not selling well. The, and some of the cards have already synced more or less with what the the Japanese buy list would offer anyway. So for instance, for the foil mystical archive, Japanese time warp that, that comes out of the collector boosters, it's about $300 on TCG and you could probably get 300 buy list in Japan. Now, if you can get a private private sale in Japan, you might be able to get somewhere between 400 and 600. But if you bought them last weekend for a hundred, there's zero shame in flipping them for 250 to 300 within the week. <laughs> yeah. You're doing very, you're doing very, very well. You just fire that off and never look back. Yeah. And we, we've had plenty of pro traders taking those opportunities on channels and grape shots and time warps and demonic tutors and whatever. You know, you can argue about how cheap will demonic tutor get before it then rocket ships up to $1,000, which is the price point I think it will be at within a few years. But it's hard to argue with, you know, 100% plus returns in seven days or less. Yeah, right, right. It's... Uh... Quite the scenario, I guess, we've landed in, and we're going to see it again, and it's because it's kind of in everyone's best interest, essentially. And, you know, those secret 
super secret cards that exist out there that have a special type and special rarity or catnip for people who like that type of crap. And most players get to ignore it. Um, and you know, you earlier, you made a comment about wondering about information and what have you, and, and is it recorded anywhere? And it's, it's sort of this living lore that exists in the game in a way that it does for a lot of things, right? Like, um, you know, there's some stuff that's a little more well-documented. I think like the Richard Garfield cards, uh, are good, a good version of that to remember. Like you mean like splendid Genesis and what right? The cards that were printed for major events in his life, like getting married and having children. So like those are well-documented and that information's out there, but it's not the type of thing players would come across. You also have stuff like the heroes of the realms cards, which again, most players don't know about it. Collectors would love to get their hands on all those. Those are damn near impossible to get. I believe um that they give to special wizards employees and people involved with wizards but then there's like this additional set of information which is essentially there might be a wikipedia that has a line about it somewhere and a comparable fact is something that i've mentioned multiple times on this podcast but people who don't listen to this probably don't know that the foiling process from the original mirrodin was really bad also the foiling process on avacyn restored english cards was really bad but Foreign foils from Avacyn Restored had normal foiling. So like buying foil foreign foils from that set in particular is advantageous. Um, and it's like, good luck finding this written down someplace. However, uh, these are very relevant points of interest if you want to know. And being a collector who knows these things, you kind of you get rewarded for having that information. Yeah. The Now... Here's a couple of tidbits that are worth tying together to cap things off. Saffron Olive of MTG Goldfish was on Twitter today with a tweet somewhere along the lines of, "Hey, wacky crazy idea. Maybe there's <laughs> going to be there's going to be old border enemy fetches in Modern Horizons 2 collector booster boxes. Uh, wouldn't that be wacky?" And the thing about that is, that's a rumor that's been floating around. We've heard that in a few different places. We haven't been able to confirm it anywhere. So, we haven't been making a big deal out of it. But if Saffron's going to go ahead and go on record with this quote-unquote wacky idea, you know, may as well have a little chat about it. That, you know, we had talked about what are they doing with the fetches. We had said it; they could be old border. We had said they could be foil extended art. They could be some fancy new treatment. But let's just assume that we're getting old border enemy fetches. Why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant because the only old boulder fetches that exist so far are the allied ones that were printed at Onslaught slot block. By the time we got to Zendikar, the first Zendikar, they were onto the modern border. So there are no old border enemy fetches. So if you want to have matching playsets for Legacy or EDH or something, this would be your opportunity, which would make a lot of sense. Because if there's no allied fetches in here, that's fine because they don't need them because they have original old border foil treatments. Um, there has been some motion on those lately, which suggests that some people have heard this rumor earlier than others and have bought in. Uh, there is every reason to believe that that is, you know, whether or not that ends up being true, every reason to believe that that's a reasonable thing wizards might do. Now, why do I bring that up at the tail end of this conversation? Because <laughs> imagine what's going to happen if the Japanese collector booster boxes ha- are determined to have a better version of old border foil Japanese allied fetches. Mm. Uh, I mean, en- enemy fetches. Enemy fetches. Sorry. Yeah. Because because uh, the thing is, like, a mono 
is you know Liliana Dreadhorde General Amano foil version S one. It's like an eight thousand dollar card or whatever. I think I got a buy list quote on it in the like mid four thousands this week. So it's a pretty serious card, but that card isn't like ultra super playable or important to the game so much as the art was important based on the artist. It's not a good, basically not a good card. It's, it exists only for the artwork, essentially not the. I mean, it's a good card in EDH, but it's not. It's not like it's not an iconic card like the fetches are. Right. And Japanese, if the Japanese old border foil fetches coming out of four hundred to five hundred dollar collector booster boxes in Japan that don't have circulation anywhere else on the planet, also end up being variants. A, Haryu, you will be all over that. And B, those will end up being multi-thousand dollar cards. Mm-hmm. The, the real kicker there is you can't even go and, like, you can't even put pre-orders on that packaging ahead of time with the goal of being able to pick up the the special ones at a good price or whatever because you don't know which product they're going to come out of like okay if there is this difference is the good version going to be the collector booster or the set booster you would well and can think you even... it'd be the set booster to line up with what's happened in this scenario but not necessarily true and and that's just it like if all collector boosters are still made in texas including the japanese ones then there may be no reason for there to be a variant of the foils if the foils are limited to the collector boosters now if they end up being box toppers and you can you do in fact get one in a set booster box well then now you're back and those set booster boxes are printed in japan (laughs) now you're back in an interesting territory so we're gonna have to see how those formulations play out but it's definitely going to be worth watching for the detail on that because it could matter yeah and i think my takeaway here is you know on on the larger point that you you shouldn't think that this is i'm not going to say that these aren't mistakes because i think for the most part they are mistakes but i think they're mistakes that nobody is particularly engaged in trying to correct so you shouldn't expect this to be different in the future like these will keep cropping up and everyone's pretty much going to be fine with it and also i don't think it's on the whole it's not really bad for the player either i mean again most players are never going to know they're not going to care it's not going to be a big deal the worst thing that could happen to a player is they open the good version of a card and sell it without knowing it's the good version of the card yeah um which would be a huge bummer not denying that whatsoever but like if that's the worst case so be it i would like to see more of these online stores set up the infrastructure to accommodate some of these printings but at the same time, I, I understand it is a legitimate challenge to deal with that. So I, I don't think this is going anywhere. You just this is one of those things where if you keep your ear to the ground, sometimes you can get paid off if you can react within, you know, hours of news starting the break on the second day of a set's release. Final tip for the casual listener that might bite off one or two Japanese set booster boxes make sure whatever foils you pull out of there for the mystical archives japanese versions you put them aside and label them sleeve them up put them on a top loader put a little sticker on it and put set (laughs) so that you remember that that's what it is and you don't have to worry later about whether you have the right version it would be funny if you ended up with some of this stuff down the road and you couldn't tell which version it was so you had you're like okay i have these three foil time walks and i don't know which one i have so i have to go buy another foil card 
just to put it next to these to figure out which version I have. Well, I'll tell you this much. If you have three foil time warps, they're probably all out of CBs. Well, yeah. If, if they all look the same. it On their own, these can be hard to identify. But if you put them side by side out of sleeve and good lighting, you will definitely be able to flag the Japanese version. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to mention that I forgot to I forgot earlier. I sold those lightning greaves and the guy was asking about it and we I you know recognized there were printing differences between geographic regions. But I'm willing to bet that there were printing differences even within the same shop because I was able to find th- multiple versions of the same invention. Like I was like expedition lens or whatever, something like that. I don't remember which card. And put them next to each other. And some of them were foiled differently than the others, but they were still of the same type of the like international version rather than the like a different printing shop. So like even within the same print shop, there seemed to be different foiling processes. One with a little more reflective than others. That's possible. Yeah, it was and I because I, I caught it as I was slipping through it. I was like, wait, what the heck? All right, so long-winded way of saying foil mystical archives, Japanese out of the set booster boxes, and regular booster boxes, although although that's going to be a lot less prevalent for our North American listeners and European listeners. Yeah, put those aside. They're worth more. Yeah. Good, good, good on you if you manage to snag some. That's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, how about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via occasional articles on mtgprice.com, and I am constantly haunting our ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering, including, I think, this week, we have a huge group eye on Flesh and Blood Monarch boxes that is going to make pretty much everybody involved a ridiculous amount of money. Another one? Because we already had the one, right? Well, we haven't actually delivered those yet, right? Because they come out this Friday. So we, we had multiple waves of that, and that should all start heading out the door this week. Is that all still the... uh... First edition. All still first edition? Yeah, there's also a wave of Unlimited, which is likely to be popular for people that want to play. Because if you want to play, cracking first edition boxes is silly pants. Okay, now, Unlimited boxes are just that, right? Doesn't that mean they print them in Unlimited amount? It's actually interesting in Flesh and Blood because, in theory, the game does not rotate. The core competitive version of the game, their version of Standard, just lasts forever. Or more accurately, yeah, more accurately, they have Legacy, and Legacy is just legacy forever um so they could keep printing like going back to press on unlimited versions of boxes but i suspect what they will do over time is just start trending towards master sets where they like start when they get 10 or 15 sets down the road they start reprinting key staples that are running short in the market in a master style set to get them back out there huh because i saw i saw some people buying some limited boxes at kind of an elevated price and i was kind of surprised because i thought those were well they can still just be that limited they can still be a little tough to get in the market at certain times like right now it's pretty easy to get the uh first two sets 
in Unlimited, but in the fall, it was kind of tough. So they got up close to 200 at one point mm-hmm. and then fell back down as subsequent waves arrived. There's also promos to consider. They used to give out promos with pretty much everything, but with the first edition Monarch boxes, there are no foil promos that are given out just for getting a box. There are in-store promos related related to the pre-releases that are worth some solid coin, but the promos as a buy-a-box is a unlimited thing. Which makes sense, because the first edition boxes don't need any help to sell. The unlimited boxes need more of. And throwing a foil promo at somebody to get them to bite off a $120 box makes a lot of sense. Hmm. If, the, if that promo is going to end up being worth you know, $50 to $150 or something down the road. Yeah. Hmm. I might have to dig... Maybe I'll dig back into the Monarch. Second group buy there, if I can remember. Uh... Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. That's the end of episode 270. Looking forward to 271 next week. Should be a good one, as always, and I will see you then, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.